0: Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest FinTech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of the FTF Exchange podcast series. Today, I'm I joined by Gemma Bailey, TriCalculate Business Manager, and Neil Murphy, TriResolves Business Manager at Astra. Astra is the new home of industry-shaping businesses, Marketserve, Triana, TriOptima, and Reset, and is a joint venture between CME Group and s Global. The company is based in London, as are our Gemma and Neil. And Gemma and Neil, before we uh, dive into the questions, maybe you could just quickly introduce yourselves to our listeners.
2: Yes. Hi. Thanks, Eugene. My name is Neil Murphy. I'm a director of business management, and I kind of work mainly on helping clients prepare for UMR. Uh, so I've been quite familiar with uh, today's topic.
3: Hi, I'm Gemma Bailey. I'm working in business management for TriCalculate, um, and we're both based in the London office.
1: hmm Okay. Uh, so could you... Just remind our listeners uh, about the recent history of the Uncleared Margin Rules, also known as UMR, why must firms stay on top of these reforms despite so many distractions? Yeah, thanks, Eugene.
2: In brief, uh, UMR has its roots in in a global regulatory response to the financial crisis of 2008. And while that might seem a long time ago now, uh, we first saw the the first draft or the first technical standards associated with UMR back in 2014. So this is something that the industry has been aware of or perhaps should have been aware of for a long time. Uh, And given that the rules have such a broad impact, um, both in terms of geography and, and both the number and size of firms impacted, regulators have phase the rules in so as to effectively to soften the impact. Um, so to date we've seen five prior phases of UMR since September 2016 uh, and on September the 1st 2022 we'll see the sixth and, and final phase of the rules. But in terms of the general impact of the rules, what they do is they introduce a new requirement on firms to both calculate and exchange initial margin or, or, or AM. And I think this is quite a significant impact since Prior to UMR, firms have only been required to exchange variation margin or VM uh, bilaterally. So for many, this will be an entirely new area. Uh, there are other a small set of firms, uh, potentially hedge funds, who've exchanged IM previously with their dealers, uh, but that would have been on a one-way basis posted to the dealer. And obviously, firms who have already engaged in, in clearing, um, they would also be familiar with initial margin. Mm-hmm. But in contrast to the clearing model, reg IM is is different for one key aspect. Um, The calculation and the exchange of IM is on a gross basis. So firms who are in scope will be expected to both post initial margin and also to receive initial margin. I think this perhaps is probably a real key surprise for firms when they begin their IM journey uh, as they're really not expecting that much of an operational impact. And if you think about that, what does that mean? Well, it means you go from one VM margin call today to potentially three margin calls with those two additional IM calls uh, each day. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. probably the other key distinction of the rules is that firms are, will be required to segregate any collateral exchanged under UMR, either at a third party custodian or a tri-party. Um, so this really is something that increases the complexity of UMR for firms and, and just you know, adds to the learning curve uh, as they begin their compliance journey. Okay.
1: Uh, and Gemma, I was wondering if you wanted to say anything.
3: Yeah, just on top of that, the SIM the model um, is tested and monitored by the ISDA SIM Governance Committee and updated mm-hmm. every year. So it's not just a matter of uh, implementing the SIM model, going live, calculating IM. You need to keep on top of any changes in, in the model. And uh, that's something that yeah. a, a vendor can help you with.
1: Mm-hmm. And SIM is widely used, as, as you noted. Um,
3: exactly. Exactly.
1: Many firms have been adjusting to the UMR requirements since uh, September 2016. In what ways, though, is uh, phase six different from the earlier phases?
3: Sure. So um, naturally, the firms are smaller. Um, We're often speaking to the same member of the team across different aspects of risk and capital. So we may have a relationship with a project manager, for example, that has been in touch with us or has a relationship with us through portfolio reconciliation, but that person may also look across UMR capital calculations um, and other uh, projects within the within the institution. So, yeah, they're smaller in that respect. We um, obviously smaller portfolios, uh, a longer time for IM to build up. Um, but as the portfolios are smaller, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're less exotic. So I think we've seen. Um, the same distribution of vanilla and exotic trades as we have in previous phases so yeah that's true secondly on phase six they are of course the last phase so they have the potential to fall out of scope altogether if they are able to successfully reduce their ana below the threshold so I feel that there's been a lot more focus on ana with this phase um, in monitoring it and making sure that they're staying below if that's their their st- strategy behind UMR. Um, so many more, much more focus on the calculation and monitoring and ANA in the lead up to the ANA calculation window this year of course, but also in future years.
2: And maybe just to add to what Gemma has said in terms of key differences in in phase six, you know, it's not just the size of the firms, obviously with much smaller derivatives portfolios, but it's also the scale of phase six, you know, across phases one to four, we saw, you know, approximately 200 entities brought into scope, but we expect to see more than 700 entities fall into scope in September 22 uh, as part of phase six. So this is a significant challenge not just for the firms that are required to comply, but for the broader industry. Because these counterparties or these firms are all um, interacting and trading with a small subset of dealer counterparties. So they will be engaging with with, with the same 10 or 15 firms. They will be engaging and trying to onboard with a small set of custodians and triparties, and likely also working with the same vendors. So that does create um, a challenge for the firms and and both for the broader industry as well. Mm
1: So what have firms learned from those earlier phases that will help them when they
2: come to grips with phase six? Since phase one and back in 2016, the dealer community, thats first 15 or 20 firms that were required to comply back then, they've been really open about sharing their experiences. Uh, and probably the, the keenest message they've had is that firms in subsequent phases must begin preparations as early as possible. Um, and, and really the feedback from those firms in the early phases was that UMR is a 12-month project, um, which is probably something that for a lot of phase six firms, that's not um, a duration for a a regulatory project that they're used to. So that's quite a significant challenge. Um, But other kind of lessons learned would be, you know, that firms should improve their operational processes ahead of time. You know, for many phase six firms, they may be using old legacy processes to manage the collateral associated with VM, uh, often using Excel, internal builds, Uh, lacking any automation whatsoever. So I I really think this is one thing that firms should focus on is to replace those legacy processes, legacy systems, um, and then to improve their kind of processing capability uh, ahead of time. Uh, I think talking to some firms, they initially may have been hesitant because they saw that as broadening the scope of preparation for UMR, and they wanted to keep the the scope quite narrow to focus on the IM piece only, but I think they very quickly learned that once their projects began, is that operational capacity is is super super important as part of UMR. As I said before, you're going to go from one margin call with each counterparty to potentially three, um, so really operational capacity is significant. So improving processes is really essential, and and it's not just a kind of you know about improving systems for the sake of it it's about improving systems so that you gain automation and that means automation across the entire umr flow so data should flow from your trading systems to your im calculator seamlessly it should be then the the im results should then flow into your margin monitoring or your margin management uh, workflow tools seamlessly and you should be able to communicate automatically with your counterparties So we shouldn't see firms using email, which has traditionally been used for exchange of calls. We should see them exchanging calls electronically via margin sphere. And we should also see firms seeking to improve communication and and connectivity to the custodians. You know, Mm -hmm. a legacy process in the custody market is that there's still use of fax, uh, logging into custodian on portals to process payments. So firms really, really need to improve the process of connectivity. I really think that's you know, broad message, um, but it, it applies to the entire UMR process. Emma, did you mm-hmm. want to maybe add, add something? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I just obviously echo, start early. Um, make sure that you agree on your portfolios in their current state. So you can put a bit of focus into portfolio reconciliation before you start on your IM project. Um, once you're happy with that and you're reconciling successfully with your counterparties, then you'll be in a much better situation post September where that's the first thing that obviously needs to be in line before you go on to calculate IM. Mm -hmm. Um, Choose your method of IM calculation, whether that's SIM or schedule, Um, choose your vendor if you're going to use a vendor and then spend time focusing on um, a subset of trades, which you are realistically going to trade in the next year to three years, that is in scope for IM so just focus on those those product types against those counterparties and work with your vendor or work within your institution to make sure that you've got appropriate coverage for those trade types Um, yeah so I'd say that is key you can also obviously run test IM calculations on that subset so you start to get an idea about how quickly your IM is going to build up Um, so we're Working with a lot of our clients at the moment to understand that. So anything that you have in in terms of preparing for this is, you know, the more the better.
1: Mm -hmm. And and people can't just hope that the the regulators change their minds and move
2: the goalpost again because that that doesn't appear to be
1: uh, a possibility.
2: I think this late in the day, Mm -hmm. you know, it shouldn't be expected. You know, there was a delay. Mm in 2020, at the outset of the pandemic, um, Mm -hmm. for for, for good reason. um, And we don't expect a similar extension for phase six at this point.
1: So what have been your experiences when you've uh, helped your clients meet their requirements? What remains the biggest challenge for them?
2: Yeah, we've helped firms since phase one. uh, And for phase one and two firms, you know, they're large international dealer banks, largely, they had their own complex risk systems. So they were able to kind of handle some of the calculation challenges um, associated with UMR, you know, calculating the IM, whether by SIM or or by schedule. Uh, And where some of them perhaps required assistance was more on the IM margin processing. Um, So that was maybe a focus for some of the early phases. Um, But as we got to phase three onwards, I think we saw a much bigger demand for our holistic solution. So firms requiring support for IM calculation. IM margining, uh, settlement, uh, and the whole collateral management process. So I think that's that's the experience we've had so far. We're, and we're seeing now for phase six in particular, you know, firms really come to us and they really want to use our entire suite of UMR services. But I think your question about the biggest challenge, I think for firms, really the biggest challenge they face is, is getting the project off the ground and moving uh, for phase six firms. This really is a, is a challenge. They're not used to these large industry-wide projects, you know, and this UMR impacts the firm across the organization, trading and compliance, operations, settlement, risk, and legal. So I think when I talk to firms, those who I observe who coordinate across the firm well, they seem more agile, able to move quickly, and maybe a more ahead of the curve as a generalization. But I think, it's not just this coordination internally, it's also uh, coordination with external counterparties. Uh, as I mentioned before, you've got to you communicate with your counterparties for legal documentation. You've got to engage with custodians and, and on board with them. So really that's the challenge is this, it's a, it's, a, it's a quite complex process because there's so many moving parts. And I think it's mm-hmm. there's not there's one specific key challenge, it's the the myriad of challenges uh, or the myriad of kind of coordination of all of these different parties simultaneously. And I, you know, as I said before, there's a large number of firms in scope. Firms really want to get ahead of the curve. They should be engaged with their counterparties and their custodians now. They don't want to be at the back of the queue come summer, you know, just weeks ahead of the deadline, because this process to onboard is very very timely you know we, we see that onboarding to custodians signing im docs we're talking like you know up to six months for these processes so that's why I really mm. flow should be very engaged mm. with these points right now
1: and unfortunately the timing is is pretty bad i mean we've um, we have a pandemic and then you know uh, and then other you know major major uh global events impacting markets and 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 futures um, so, so it's not a it's a, it's not
2: great timing but People do have it's to. It's not. And, and, it. and a part of, the, you know, part of the conversation often with clients is that you know, they do need to focus on BAU, on the kind of managing current processes, and that they will kind of turn their attention when they have an opportunity. And I think for those firms, maybe with that kind of mindset, that potentially reflects that they don't expect UMR to have as large an impact on them. So therefore, they think that the preparation steps could be more focused and in a shorter time frame. But I think they shouldn't just be hoping for that they really need to have done some evaluation and some testing if they really want to kind of take that perspective
1: so this coming september will be the milestone deadline for firms that are in scope for phase six so as of today in march uh, where should firms be in terms of their preparations what are their current challenges sure
3: so this links a little bit back to the last question as well what's the biggest challenge so from the try-calculate side, so we're the part of the business that does the calculation of IM, um, I'd say a big challenge is data. So getting the right trade files over to us, aggregating trade files from different product classes across the institution, making sure all the data is in there that we need to be able to value trades. So that's that's a big challenge, just setting up the SFTP of those files. Um, it sounds quite straightforward, but... Um, yeah, we've learned that it can be sometimes quite a challenge. So it's good to start getting that going early. And we try and make it as easy as possible for our clients by allowing them to submit their own file formats. So we don't make them change their data drastically before they use our service. It's just making sure that the information we require is present in that file somewhat. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd say that was a challenge. And I think that They should, at the moment, be clear on the workflow that they're going to use. So whether that's a vendor, whether that's in-house and every part of the end-to-end solution, they should be clear as to how they're going to support that. They should be testing those components, obviously individually, but then all together. So as I mentioned before, just connections, like the first connection, which is sending in a tray file to am uh, calculation vendor like us um, so just testing that everything works up in a joined works in a joined up way um, also I think that firms are managing conversations internally uh, raising awareness of the fact that they're in phase six and that they need to start posting IM come September and working out how you know where the cost of am will sit within the institution and how it will be allocated out and, and Conversations like that that we are not obviously party to, but I, I would imagine that there's a lot of that going on in phase six institutions as well. So the IM cost, the IAM calculation, the, the, the actual transfer of margin, and uh, potential IM optimization might be too early to think about optimization right now for phase six, but I'd say it would definitely be something wise to think about either now or in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. What steps can you suggest to firms that may need to avoid or delay their UMR phase six Compliance at this point?
3: Yeah, so as I mentioned previously, um, we've spoken to a lot of firms trying to obviously remain under the ARNA threshold for phase six. The ways that they can go around that is by um, putting more of a strategic focus on clearing um, and compression cycles, for example reduce that we offer here um in at austria and just monitoring the honor and making sure that the the trading behavior doesn't take them above that threshold so if their plan is to remain below phase six this year but then in subsequent years um they need to be on top of that
2: yeah and i, I think firms who, want to, who are trying to do that maybe if they haven't already started that process, they perhaps left it too late. The the window of calculation for the ANA it began March 1st and runs through to May 31st. So firms would already, you know, the data points that are required to calculate ANA have already started. So firms would need to move very, very quickly in order to unwind positions, to compress their portfolios or, or, to, or to move more trades to clearing. So I think that would be a very big challenge if they haven't already started that. But other than reducing your ANA to below 8 billion, there is very little, in fact, nothing that firms can do to really to avoid Uh, phase six. And I think in terms of delaying, they can't delay being in scope once they're above eight billion, but they can delay the impact if they can trade in a strategic way so that their IM exposure remains below 50 million and therefore they don't have to complete all of the kind of preparation steps. So the IM will impact phase six firms in different ways depending on the size uh, of the exposure.
1: And and just quickly, have you found that any firms have changed their portfolios or moved out of certain instruments to to avoid the UMR obligations?
2: Yeah, not specific to phase six, but over the last two or three phases, yeah, we definitely saw firms, as Gemma alluded to, pushing back, you know, reducing their exposure, their size of their overall portfolios in order to delay to a later or, or subsequent phase of UMR, um, mm-hmm. wider use of clearing, uh, in some cases, uh, or, or, or futures products, if that's possible. You know, for a lot of firms, you know, they have a mandate from a client, they have a specific strategy that, to follow. They can't immediately pivot so as to, to reduce the positions uh, that quickly. But yeah, it, for sure, it has been done in some cases.
1: Okay. Also, the, the initial margin exposure for some firms may not yet exceed the $50 million threshold so how viable is it for firms to take an initial margining monitoring approach and how long can firms stay on that path
2: uh, to me that i think this is the key key question for any firm you know required to comply in phase 6 the size of the expected im determines the overall outlook scale and perspective of their project you know they have regulatory relief uh, phase 6 firms which is something that firms in phases one to four did not have. And that relief allows them to defer or to delay some of the UMR preparation steps until their exposure is above 50 million. So for some firms, they're caught by the um, UMR rules based on the size of their ANA, but because of the makeup of their portfolio, they they don't don't ever expect to uh, exchange initial margin because it will always be below 50 million. So in earlier phases, they would have been required to sign IM CSAs with each counterparty to open custodian accounts. So quite a complex and onerous process. But for phase six, they can take advantage of this relief and they can defer that while they remain below 50 million. The key Mm -hmm. key question is how long will your your portfolio exposure remain below 50 million? That's gonna change from firm to firm from the underlying trades Will their strategy remain the same? Will there be changes? So they should really be thinking about that. And as Gemma said, firms should, uh, we're working with clients to simulate portfolios so that to assess um, how long it might be before that, that IM gets to 50 million. And what we have saw, saw in phase five is that in scope firms were happy to defer opening of custodian uh, accounts, to defer signing CSAs. And so were their dealer counterparties up to a point and that's what we, we're, we're, why this concept of monitoring is so so important. So phase six firms must monitor their exposure daily. So They must calculate SIM. They must you know, validate where that number is each day. And in, in the experience of phase five, firms typically were comfortable with monitoring their IM up to approximately 30 million euros. Uh, and at that point, they would agree with the counterparty that, that they will both begin to negotiate a CSA, and a firm would look to open a custodian document. So it really is a question of how long it will be before it gets to 30 million. For some firms where they expect portfolios to get to 50 million, maybe within six months, they may choose to undertake some of the full preparation steps ahead of September the 1st or very soon thereafter, because there isn't much of a time saving. For firms who, however, who expect I am to take maybe 12 months or more to get to 50 million, they are very comfortable in monitoring only at this point. And there are other firms who expect, you know, I am will remain 50 million indefinitely, and they don't really plan to engage in documentation. So firms should be having conversations with their dealer counterparties today. Um, some of those dealers are happy to share estimates of IM that they have done here at Traoptima. we've been helping clients estimate their IM. Because as I said at the start, I think it's really critical in determining the, the kind of direction of the project. Because if not, firms will you know be required to undertake all steps, which in reality may be unnecessary.
1: Mm-hmm. But it seems like you, you can't escape UMR in a way. It, it, it will involve your firm in somehow in some way.
2: Yeah, for sure. At a, at a minimum, firms will be required to calculate initial margin and to monitor that amount daily. Uh, and while the calculation is a is quite a big jump as part of the upfront project, you know, then that should become part of the BAU everyday process. But then monitoring should be happening daily. There should be some kind of check-in with the counterparty to kind of validate and align that maybe your numbers are, 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 are similar. And that's why portfolio reconciliation is so important. Firms have really been quite outspoken from the earlier phases have said that comparison of your portfolios alignment of the trades the pvs is critical because it it helps firms align their their im as well
1: mm-hmm. then i guess lastly what what are the key offerings from trioptima that can help firms uh, manage their umr obligations Yes,
3: yeah, so sure so um i'll start from the try calculate side so We've spoken a lot about the SIM model, we compute the SIM sensitivities which feed into the SIM model. We also can convert the sensitivities into an IM amount per counterparty following the SIM model. Um, So that is the first step in the end-to-end solution. We can also offer calculations under the schedule or grid methods. Um, and then another thing from the Tricalculate side of things is we produce backtesting reports on SIM. So backtesting allows our clients to prove the appropriateness of using SIM on specifically on their portfolios. Um, so they are the three, I would say, key uh, pieces of functionality we have in Tricalculate related to UMR.
2: And separately, on in the try resolved margin side, you know we support the entire margin workflow for for IM and UMR, which means that we can calculate, store a client's IM documentation. We can calculate the initial margin call. We can communicate with their counterparties in real time via electronic message, moving them away from manual processing and email. Um, and we can even also interact and, and communicate with. Um, their preferred custodian or tri-party, which are, I mean, that's really important because by bringing together the margin call workflow and the settlement workflow, we we save time, we reduce uh, operational risk. And, and, and it's really critical because the, the process of communicating with tri-parties is, is a little bit more complex than, than what firms have been used to. So really that that's a, an important kind of element that maybe firms haven't considered um, as important. Up to this point or until they get really more engaged in their project. So combined, looking at tri-calculate, try-resolve margin, then we're effectively looking at the end-to-end UMR process. But two critical components we can also support are, are, the, are the reconciliation, both of the portfolio using Tri-Resolve, which you know the industry is, is widely using and is such a critical component of UMR, but also then we can help interact with the kind of industry standard sim sensitivity reconciliation service so you know this is what's really nice about the trioptimal solution is that it's not a one-size-fits-all clients are able to pick the services or the components that they need to complement their existing tools to enrich uh, their their, their current tools and then to get the workflow that they really want to get Uh, and and, an important element that is that for some firms, they may be able to defer some elements because if they're monitoring today for the next six months, maybe they want to add other services, you know, associated with perhaps settlement in the future, and, and we allow them to do that easily.
3: And just to, sorry, just to chip back in there, this is, there's all of these uh, processes relate to the daily collateral workflow and the daily calculation of IM and movement of collateral etc., um Tracalculate calculate we also which, which may be looked at a future day or maybe now we we have our XVA solution and one of the XVAs we compute is MVA which is the future cost of IM so we've started to talk to clients about obviously not only calculating and monitoring their IM today but simulating their portfolios forward and looking at expected IM costs so I think that once we get through the first hurdle with phase six of the calculation of IM and the workflow and everything we've been talking about today, I think uh, as we've seen in previous phases, um, institutions will start to want to be more clever with their collateral, forward-looking, um, pre-deal checks and everything like that. So um, yeah, that's that's something further that we add related to IM with, within Calculate.
1: Okay, great. Great. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks very much, Eugene.
0: Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange Podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange Podcast.